are listening to Books Are My People, a bi-weekly podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 27, and I'm recording on Friday, July 10th. I can't believe it's already July. It all sort of feels like one long month that started in March and is still going. How's everyone doing? Is school going to start in person in the fall? That's the big question here. We're waiting to see what happens. I know Los Angeles County has had an alarming spike in COVID cases, so it's not looking so good for school starting at the end of August, but we shall see. Before I get to some bookish news, I have an exciting announcement to make. I have opened an online bookstore through bookshop.org. Bookshop, if you haven't heard of it, is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. And I am now an official affiliate for Bookshop. So all you have to do is go to the show notes section of this podcast, which on Apple Podcasts can be found by clicking on details and you'll see links to all of the books that I talk about, and those links will take you to my store on Bookshop. I've made lists of books for episodes 26 and 27, and I'll slowly be working on adding lists for all of my previously recorded episodes. As an affiliate, I take 10% commission on the sale of books listeners purchase, and also my local bookstore, Diesel Books, will receive 10% of the sale unless you'd like to replace them with your own independent bookstore that you love. So check it out. Again, you can link up to my store through the show notes or by going to Bookshop and searching for Books Are My People, which is fittingly the name of my store. Thanks so much for your support. Now on to some bookish news. Up first on the agenda today is a simple directive. Don't microwave your library books, people. Yep, people are microwaving their library books to get rid of coronavirus, and this is no good for many reasons, but each library book has a little metallic radio frequency identification, also known as an RFID, and metal should definitely not go into the microwave because it burns. I have a vivid memory of being in seventh grade and accidentally microwaving a spoon, and it looked like a full-on electrical storm in there. So unless you want a fire in your microwave, please don't microwave books. If germy books are a concern, you can always opt for ebooks. I know that when I get books from the library now, I just like to let them sit and marinate in a bag somewhere for about five days before I touch them. I know it's overkill, but... It makes me feel like I have some control over this situation. Speaking of libraries, my local library remains closed, but my holds are finally starting to come in and they're ready to be picked up at a different library. I was really impressed. They were so organized and I got to select a very specific pickup time. It was a little like making a doctor's appointment and I showed up at my time. I went to the parking lot, so the building wasn't even open, and I just gave my name and was handed a big grocery bag of my holds. It was super easy, and I got to return the 31 books that I have had in my house from the library since March, so that felt good. In book-to-film news, The Chain by Adrian McKinty, which I discussed in episode 5 of this podcast, has been optioned by Universal Pictures. 
I remember talking about this book and saying that it was so film-like, so I am not surprised at all by this. It's a fast-paced thriller about a mom named Rachel who learns that her 11-year-old daughter has been kidnapped, and the only way she can get her back is to kidnap another child, and her daughter will be released only when that next victim's parents kidnap another child. So if Rachel doesn't participate, then her daughter will be killed. It was a real page turner. In other book to film news, James McBride's Deacon King Kong is being developed into a TV series by sisters. The book was recently named as Oprah's latest book club selection, and it's been on my to read list for a long time, but I have not yet gotten to it. The book takes place in September 1969 and follows the life of a community in a Brooklyn housing project. And according to the book synopsis, a fumbling, comical old church deacon known as Sportcoat shuffles into the courtyard of the Cause House housing project in South Brooklyn, pulls a 38 millimeter from his pocket, and shoots the project's drug dealer at point-blank range. It's a novel inspired by the Red Hook housing projects. So I look forward to reading that. Sounds very intense. Jennifer Egan is writing a companion novel to A Visit from the Goon Squad, a novel in stories, which was originally published in 2010, but takes place in the future, which is basically now. So this new book will push into 2034, which feels so far away, but really it's not that far away. And she'll follow many of the kids from Goon Squad into their futures. Now, on to the books. I am delighted to share that two, yes two, of this week's recommendations were written by friends of mine. The first is The Last Flight by Julie Clark. And aside from sharing my maiden name, I first met Julie 11 years ago when our now 14-year-old started preschool together and our second sons followed three years later at the same preschool. Julie is smart and funny and vibrant and oh so deserving of all of the success that this, her second novel, is receiving. It was a Book of the Month Club pick for June and officially on the New York Times bestseller list. Her first book, which is also wonderful, is called The Ones We Choose and came out in 2018. But back to The Last Flight. So this is a book about two very different women. One is Claire Cook. She's married to a politician who's about to announce his candidacy for senator. He is also an abusive husband. And Claire has spent too long playing the part of the politician's perfect wife. Claire is desperate to get out of her relationship. And the only way she can think of to do so safely is to disappear. So she's been hatching an escape plan for a while. She's even secured a fake passport. But right before her escape, her husband sends her on a last minute humanitarian trip to Puerto Rico, which totally foils her plans. So at Kennedy Airport, awaiting her flight, she meets Ava, who is also longing for an escape. Uh, The two impulsively decide to switch identities and plane tickets. So now Ava is the one heading to Puerto Rico, and Claire is heading to Oakland um, Airport, because Ava lives in Berkeley. But the plane that Claire was supposed to be on to Puerto Rico crashes, which shifts 
everything for Claire, who is now on her way to Berkeley to start this new life. Claire thinks that since everyone presumes she was the one who died on the plane, that she can now live her life quietly in Berkeley. But of course, this is not the case. And slowly, her old life comes back to haunt her. Um, And quite frankly, Ava's life in Berkeley is coming back to haunt Claire as well. Julie Clark uses such a clever narrative device because the women's narratives are in conversation with one another, even though they're not parallel in time. This book was completely engrossing, and I could not put it down. Each chapter ends on a cliffhanger that forced me to turn the page to see what happened next. The women are both complex and multi-layered and resourceful and smart. And aside from all that, it was also just a really moving story. So bravo to Julie. And again, that is The Last Flight by Julie Clark. My next pick is also written by a friend, and that is Max Brooks's Devolution, a firsthand account of the Rainier Sasquatch Massacre. Max is the author of many, many books, including The Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z, the comic book The Harlem Hellfighters about an African-American infantry unit in World War I who spent more time in combat than any other American unit, and the Minecraft book The Island, which both of my boys read and loved. Max and I grew up together, and I can attest to the fact that he always had an obsession with weaponry. I have some very clear memories of one family vacation in particular to Italy, where he somehow procured a whip and proceeded to chase me around with it, but I digress. So back to devolution. I consume this book in two different formats. I bought the book, And then we also purchased the audiobook because my husband likes to listen to audiobooks on the way to work. So I actually went back and forth between the two formats. Um, Judy Greer reads the main narration, um, but there's also some other great voices there. Um, This is a book about a very technologically and ecologically forward utopian community called Green Loop um, in Washington State. And here the residents are living in six smart homes in the forest and their own excrement powers the homes. And they're not totally cut off from the world because they have everything they need at the push of a button. So they can order whatever they want and then drones will fly in their whole foods delivery or whatever they want um, at any time. The main narrative is the diary of Kate Holland and it's a diary that's been discovered. She's a resident of this idyllic community, and we learn through the diary that Mount Rainier has erupted, spewing lava, making it impossible to escape Green Loop. So this community has been physically cut off from any neighboring city or small town even, and um, their smartphones are also not working. And on top of just trying to survive everyday life, the volcano has also revealed this very hungry Sasquatch family out in the woods, and they are not so friendly. So the book is not limited to Kate Holland's diary. We also get radio transcripts, excerpts from scientific journals, and interview excerpts with a senior ranger. And all of these modalities work to strengthen the fabric of this horror story. It will definitely make you think twice before taking a solo walk in the woods. And again, that is Devolution, 
a first-hand account of the Rainier Sasquatch Massacre by Max Brooks. The next two books are not written by authors I know, although if Ann Patchett would like to be my friend, I would gladly accept. Both these next books are backlisted from years and years ago, but I was reminded of them because when I read Joanne Hart's book in preparation for her visit two weeks ago on episode 26, she had a great quote written, um, I think it was in her first chapter of her book by Lucy Greeley, which reminded me of Greeley's amazing memoir, Autobiography of a Face. So this is a memoir that was written back in 1994 about Lucy, who was diagnosed at nine years old with Ewing's sarcoma, which is a cancer that severely disfigured her face. She had many, many surgeries that resulted in her losing half of her jaw. And then over the next 20 years, she underwent 30 more surgeries to try and rebuild her jaw. It's a book focused on what it's like to live in a society obsessed with conventional ideas of beauty when you're a disfigured woman. She feels trapped within her own face. She was a shy person to begin with and was heavily bullied in school because of her appearance. She found solace in horses and other animals. And then as an adult, she attended Sarah Lawrence College in the 80s and discovered that poetry could really be an escape for her. Her story is raw and gripping. And again, that was Autobiography of a Face by Lucy Greeley. So sometimes I recommend books that should be read together on this podcast, and Lucy Greeley's book and my next pick absolutely should be read as companion pieces. The next book is Truth and Beauty, A Friendship by Anne Patchett. This is also a memoir, and it chronicles Anne Patchett's 17-year friendship with Lucy Greeley. They both went to Sarah Lawrence, but bonded when they were roommates at the University of Iowa's Writers' Workshop, the very famous University of Iowa's Writers' Workshop. Patchett describes Greeley's reputation at Sarah Lawrence because she was the smartest student in all of her classes. A lot of this memoir examines the differences between these two women, both in personality and as writers. Patchett describes herself as the aunt from the Aesop's fable, diligent, mild-mannered, and Lucy Greeley she describes as the grasshopper, impulsive and exuberant, and I think their two different writing styles really reflect that, and you'll see that when you read the two books, especially if you read them back to back. Patchett includes Greeley's letters in her book, showcasing her own beautiful writing and passion and struggles. And we see Greeley in her own voice, and then through Patchett's voice as she reflects on their time together. Their friendship was not without its ups and downs, and it's a sad book, but it's also a beautiful tribute to a friend. And I can't help but wonder what Lucy Greeley would have thought of it if she hadn't passed away from a drug overdose in 2002. If you do decide to read these two books together, let me know about it. I'm curious to hear what that reading experience is like for you. You can email me at booksaremypeople at gmail.com. And again, that's Truth and Beauty, A Friendship by Anne Patchett. My last pick for the week is Who is Vera Kelly by Rosalie Knecht. This is a historical spy novel. It's about Vera Kelly, who's 25 years old and she's a spy living in Argentina. Her specialty is electronics, 
and she's been hidden by the Americans in Buenos Aires during the Cold War. She pretends to be a Canadian exchange student in order to befriend a group of students who are thought to be KGB operatives. So as she's pretending to be friends with them, she's really spying on them and then writing everything down that happens. She sees the coup against the government slowly building, and so she makes plans to escape, but then the coup happens too fast and she can't leave in time. So her plans change course, her handler disappears, and she's forced to choose her own fate. The narrative alternates with a much younger Vera Kelly in in the late 50s, um, when she's growing up, coming into her own as a suicidal teen living in Maryland. She's coming to terms with her sexuality, and she's sent to juvie after too many fights with her mother. I thought it was a really interesting time period to read more about. I don't know much about Argentinian history, and the only thing I really know about that time period, I know from the musical Evita, which I realize is very narrow in its scope. So it's a slim, fast-paced coming-of-age novel, and I think if you like the TV series Killing Eve, you will appreciate this book. And also, if you like James Bond, I think you might like this book. It is smart and interesting, and if you read it and like it, there is a second book in the series that just came out recently called Vera Kelly is Not a Mystery. And again, that was Who is Vera Kelly by Rosalie Knecht. Up next for me is Sad Janet by Lucy Bridge, and I'll be back in 14 days with Katie Yoakum, author of Three Ways to Disappear. Link to purchase her book can be found in my new bookshop.org store, and I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week. <laughs>